really thought that I would be able to um, be done with my preaching ministry and be home with the Lord. And then I got more time with you. So this is like bonus, fantastic. I, I Praise God. <laughs> I actually, though, you know, I was, I was um, talking to someone about they're looking for a good book to read. And, and, and they, I said, well, just read your Bible. And they said, no offense, Pastor, but the Bible's kind of boring. And, and, and you know, there are so many issues going on with the world and so much happening out there in terms of life. And, 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 and boy, I, I'm more interested in should I wear masks or not or, or you know, the, 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 the racial equality issues and, and, and figuring out and reading something good. And, and I, just the Bible, I'm, I'm not, not sure. And I suppose that's why this is going to be a little autobiographical today. Because this is where life is. It really is. And above and beyond and underneath and around and within all the issues of our day, this word of God is so critically, amazingly important. Because it tells us of something deeper and more wonderful than you'll ever know anywhere else. And I want to share that with you. I, you know, two weeks ago, I really did try to die. And I had this, it started on Saturday. You know, I, I tried to run and couldn't, and I had this, this band across my chest. And But I still came and preached on Sunday. So you saw me outside, there were outside that service if you were there, that I was having this, and I didn't really, I was in denial. I'm really stupid and stubborn and thought, well, it's something else, you know. Then I was mowing my postage stamp lawn because I live here in town. And I couldn't even do it. I had such pain. I still thought, well, I'm having an ulcer. So I had my wife get me some Tums, you know. And finally went to the doctor. And the doctor, I convinced him because I'm pretty convincing with words that uh, it was nothing. Then he called me in a panic having gotten this heart test that was 150 times normal and said, you run to the doctor. So I went into the ER. And... uh and I was trying to die. They said the reason my heart didn't stop beating is because I was an athlete and, and you know, my heart was in pretty good shape. But it was trying. It was in this rhythm that's not compatible with life. And I had a 100% blockage of my main artery going down that, you know, your heart has a big, thick pump and then a little pump. Well, the big, thick pump, the main artery was done and had been blocked. And I was having a heart attack, not just a blockage. And they were so scared, they had me just lie there and not, not move while I had all these drips in my arm, you know. Uh, magnesium and, and nitrogen, all that stuff. And while they tried to save my life. And I was sitting there going, Lord, I've had a fantastic life. Praise God, I had kids and a family and I had all these things. And please take care of them, Lord, if I get to go home. But I'm, that was in my, in my face, right? I didn't die. I'm standing here talking to you. I had no vision of heaven. And I'm here now talking to you alive. And I say, well, the Lord restored your life. And I, I, amen, praise God. But today what I want you to see is something actually more important than that the Bible calls life. Because there's, there's something there. Because I think of all the people I know and love who have died. Even this week, Josh Casada, Or this past week, my neighbor, Rich he died, struggled with cancer. 
He's dead. And being faced with that, I had something that's true of you and true of me. Yeah. You're going to die too. It's coming. I thought it was coming for me just last week, but I'll tell you what, it's coming for both of us. And even though they restored my heart and now I'm flowing again or whatever with stents, it could come any moment. And one of the hardest things is living under that uncertainty. If you don't know what's going to happen, all of a sudden, boom, you may be done. And the reality is we're all living there, right? I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know what physically might happen to me, but I know one thing. Unless the Lord returns quickly, there is a sure and certain thing in front of me, and that's my physical death. It's not about race or color. It's not about gender. It's about you and me as human beings, and we die. So what I want to do is I want to show you this amazing passage today that you know really well. It's right in our flow in Ephesians, and it's a fantastic passage that actually pulls out for us what life is and the wonder of what's going on and how to think about, especially in these days when people are so upset about all these things about our society and trying to improve them, how you and I should lens it, how we should look at it, how should we think about it. Really important. It's from Ephesians chapter 2. I've called it this. I've called it Escape from the Morgue because... I did. I was on my way, and now I'm out. So there you go. We can think about it in terms of this passage, because this passage talks about what death is and then where life is. This is Ephesians chapter 2, and if you have your um, Bibles and want to follow along, or we'll, we'll put the slides on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's, let's jump in. First, we've got to check in. This is an urban morgue. There it is. That's, sorry, kids. I know maybe you don't like, I mean, I try not to put anything particularly gruesome, but those are body bags with tags, right? That's a morgue. Let's think about it. Here it goes. And you were dead. Paul writes, as he starts here in Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so we've had this amazing letter of Paul that we've bumped into in Ephesians, and, and we've taken a couple weeks off, but we walked through and started these three chapters. How amazing, what incredible thing God has done for us in Christ, right? It's just mind-blowing. And, and, and then he starts this, and the curtain comes up, and we have this statement where he's going to talk again about the wonder of what God has done for you. But he starts with you and me, and, and he says, right, he's speaking to the church, to those who are saints in Jesus, who trust Jesus. There's no economic status in this. There's no tribe or tongue in this. And he picks up this most beloved passage with a description of what's out there in the world. Right? It's an evil world out there. There's exploitation and brutality and wrongness and evil. Yeah. I know you're with me. You say, yeah, yeah, it's out there. That's bad. There are bad people out there. Except if you really look at the text, Paul's not saying that, is he? Right? Paul's not talking about particular bad people. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. 
Did you see that? And you were dead is what he's saying in your trespasses and sins, which you once walked. This is a description of life on earth, normal life. This is neighborhood living with other people in America. It's that. We follow the course of the world, it says. Do you see that there? You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. We follow the spirit at work and the sons of disobedience. What's that? It sounds really bad. What do you think it is? That's normal living in the world without Jesus, right? That's, that's you. That's me. That's the wonderful little old lady down the street. That's people marching for Black Lives Matter. That's the person mowing the lawn for his neighbor. That's people living the best that they can on earth, you and me following along. And, and Paul says you've got to realize this, that, that this whole world is under the sway of principalities and powers. That's not God. It looks good. Paul won't let you call it good. This is your street. So well, what, what exactly is it? Well, let's keep going. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So so he's saying, okay, we all of us, everybody we know, lived in the passions of our flesh. That's not like, oh, we went out and did sneaky bad things. That's like the passions, the desires that we have. We, we live in them. We figure out what we want and we go after it. We figure out what we think is important in our life and we try and get there. We try and climb it. Self-righteousness, self-improvement, self-orientation, maximizing my best life right now for me and for other people, holding on to life for ourselves, And we're doing it together. That's what we do. So people go around maximizing life and raising families and making the best choices they know. And they choose to advance as they see fit. And Paul says, it's all under this crazy, bad system. We were dead, right? That means we had no life. There was no escape, no matter how much we sacrificed for other people, no matter how much we saw the good side of life, no matter how canny or wise we were with our investments or decisions, no matter how outgoing and warm we are towards other people, we can't escape this system. You say, well, I don't... Why is he poking at me, Paul? I, I, I do okay. You know, I, no, the problem is every single person dies. You'll give me that, right? Everybody will eventually die. Say, well, well Jesus might come back. Okay, fine. Take that out of the picture and just say, if Jesus doesn't come back in time, you will die, just like all the other people that have ever lived. Why do you die? The Bible has an answer for why you die. You realize that, right? It's Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I'll just read it to you. I won't put it up, but I'll read it. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, back in the garden, and death through sin. See, Adam wouldn't have died except he sinned. But listen to this part. So death spread to all people because all sinned. So when I'm lying on my hospital bed and my heart attack's going on and I'm faced with death, Why am I dying? Well, it just happens. No. 
No, if I would be perfect, if I would keep the law perfectly, if I would not listen to the prince of the power of the air, if I would not follow the passions of my own flesh, if I would be the person I was supposed to be, I would not die. That's the law. And yet every single person dies. Therefore, I what? Deserve death. And it's coming for me. There's no life in me. And, and I can't make the, well, I will add value to society. No, I will be kind to my kids and raise up the next generation. I'll, I'll have the right viewpoints and the correct statements. No, that's all dead-end territory. The world lives by the passion of their flesh. Flesh isn't physical like bodies are bad. Flesh is you. Your desire to preserve you. The internal motivations of what we want are just not right. You can take it to the bank. You have the wrong view. Your motivations are wrong, not right. Your accusation of someone else just rebounds onto you because you can't escape that the best of what the world is is the morgue. We're living in the morgue. That's what he's saying. You were dead, not you were getting dead because you were making bad choices. You're dead. You're, you're, you're in the morgue. And you know what we want to do to the morgue? It's almost like what we want to do is dress it up. It's like I want to stick balloons on the on the on the body bags and and, and I want to kind of have a party and say here we are we're it's not really dead it, we're, we're we're making it a better room. Have you guys heard of the phrase lipstick on a pig? I'm going to put the lipstick on the pig because because here's the pig and the pig is going down and yeah there's there's such wrongness in all of but if I just clean it up enough then it'll be okay. Newsflash. Not okay. There's no way out. People are not intrinsically good. We're all intrinsically sinners, the accused and the accuser. And, and, and so, so then I'm, I'm lying there on my bed in the hospital, lying there just, of course I die. It's way too late for me. My motives have been impure. My steps uneven. I've mixed all the way through. And so blessed to have the life that I did have, amazing kids and a wife, undeserved. And now I think, well, I'm, I'm done. I, 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 it's okay. I, Bible says it. I'm setting up this room that you and I live in. And, and it's so important as Christians that we actually see there are two rooms. It's been unpopular to say that. We say, oh, there's just one room of your life. No, there are two kingdoms. There are two rooms. There are two things going on in your life. And you can't mix them and say they're the same. Life and life are, are, are different in the Lord. Let me show you. Because here comes God. Here comes this incredible, amazing grace. And it's life that comes. It's just not the life that you want to mix in. Because it says this in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay, stop. This is one of our favorite verses in the whole Bible. you got to see the truth that we believe is that God intervened. God in his mercy. That means it's nothing that we've done. God who says when we were actually dead, that's when he acted. Not because we were worthy. When we were dead. When we were thinking that life was about self-improvement. When we were thinking it was about building the perfect society. When we were thinking it was about maximizing me and making sure I'm fulfilled. and big. When I'm thinking that God is actually acting.
when we're wrong, when we're evil because we can't break out of it, God acted then. What did he do? What did he do? Three things, he says, right? So these three things, let me just lay them out for you. He says, okay, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And then in verse 6, he says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so you've got to see this is God acting on dead morgue people. And it says, look what he did. He made us alive who were dead. It's actually really interesting. It says made us alive together. There's a togetherness of this. There's a us in this. We all together have no life. Not Dax particularly, but all of us, you and you and you and you. And we had, and together, God says in Christ, I'm making you alive. Look at this great act of God and love that he does it. And, and then he makes us alive. But don't miss the phrase. It's a dative. I think it's a dative of location. That's a Greek thing to say. It's where it happens. It says with Christ, but probably better to say in Christ. He made us alive together in Christ, in Jesus. And it's not just that he made you a little frail plant that would, oh, maybe if you grow well and you take in enough nutrients, then you'll grow up and you'll be a big, nice plant or a tree. No, no, he didn't just make us alive in Christ. He, he raised us together in Christ. He seated us in the heavenlies in Christ. He's done it all. That's amazing. This intervention, right? It's not just a little grain of life. It's it's raising us up. It's seeding us. It's togetherness because each and every one of us have no hope in ourselves. There's no hope for building a better America. There's no hope for us saying, oh, we're going to make it all just. Because what's the problem? I'm dead. Instead, this act of God to say, I'm going to pluck you out of the morgue and I'm going to get you up and raise you up and put you with Jesus in the heavenlies. This is the great hope of every single person. It's the hope that God in his mercy makes you alive. Hear this because because it speaks to me more today than ever because I was sitting and not moving in the hospital with four drips in my veins and a rhythm that leads to death. I was dying like my neighbor died last week. How could it possibly be? How can it possibly be that God made me alive if, if I was dying? You say, well, you're standing here, Dax, you're alive. But not, not my neighbor. So when he talks about this life, it doesn't take you out of this room, of this morgue that you remain in, in your flesh. My flesh is going to die. I don't mean my physical body per se. I mean the me that is me. I mean, I mean this body that can't get away from always considering and judging, always trying to, to manipulate, always trying to make me good, always trying to compare relatively how I'm doing on the ladder. This me is dying. But at the same time in this other room, in Christ, I'm alive. There's no condemnation over there. There's nothing but act of God on me. And it is as true as my physical body walking around. The truth of God has made me alive. Our trust, right? 
The wages of sin are death, and I die. A person dies because of their own sin, and we die, every one of us. And what we bring to the table is the right condemnation of the law on us, which is that we die. And our trust is in an act of God outside the law, outside all accusation, outside all that we fight over and argue over and judge on. All of us condemned, but in Christ is life for all of us. And this message is the gospel, the good news, the real stuff, right? It's not about what political party you're in. You're the one who has sinned. It's bigger and deeper, and it hits all of us. And in the midst of this is God's mercy, God's love. There's a real action, and it's not by you and me, to make alive, to raise, and to seat of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. No discrimination. Your hope is that God has acted for, for everyone, and this, this is what we normally call the symbol, that at the same time, I'm, I'm condemned. But my trust is that God has me. My life on earth could end any moment, but I trust that I will live forever. Fantastic. And we're a whole new creation. He's done it by his work. He's gotten us out of the morgue. So so, so most of the time when you're with me, you're like, I get all this, Dax. This is no problem. Why are you going over Christianity 101? It's that God made me alive when I was dead. It's that by his grace and mercy, he's done it. I get it. But this, this is the thing not to lose me on because right here, we take a step that's the wrong step. Yeah, I'm, it's, I, I don't think probably I've, I've, I've poked you too hard about anything so far in what the Bible's saying because the reality is it's all God and look what he's done and it's fantastic. But I think, okay, that was how God saved me and now I need to get to work. I have to do the right thing, you know, mindful living, right living, do some good works, get things together so that life is going well in the right direction. This is what God has planned for me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that because that's what I need to do. It's kind of like being a good Buddhist, you know, eightfold living, to have mindful living and right thinking and right action and right deeds and right all eight things you can do. But we just take that and say, well, Christians do that too now. Walk it through. It's like this. It's like, like saying, okay, I'm in the hospital. I'm having a heart attack. And I have to totally trust the surgeon to save me. Right? And everybody goes, yeah, 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 I get it, Dax. It's too late for you to watch your blood pressure when you're having a heart attack. It's not that, hey, what you should really do is lose about 20 pounds. Too late. Heart attack happening. Got to trust the surgeon. Surgeon's going to go in. Surgeon's going to open you up. Surgeon's going to do whatever they can do now medically to save you. It's too late for you to work on yourself. And, and he does. So here I am. I, I could stand here, but you know, avoiding the burger didn't help me in the midst of the heart attack because it was too late. But I think now I've been saved. And I don't realize, I don't think, like a Christian should think, that is two different arenas of life. I start thinking, now I've been saved. So just like that, like afterwards, now that I've been saved, now i got to work on it. Lower the cholesterol, do the exercise, lose the weight. Those are things I can do because it will maximize my life. And so I think that way about my Christianity. I'm thinking about it in the same way, like my life is just a continuum. And, and so I lived and I was, I was going to die, but then God graciously saved me. Here came the surgeon. He made me a little better. And now it's up to me to prolong that for as long as I can. The difficulty is what? I'm still going to die. 
It's not that life that we're talking about in Christianity. It's not a life that says with proper prevention you can have a long and full life. That life, the life that I live right now in the flesh, is by my improvement. If I lower my cholesterol, chances are better for me. This life in Christ is by forgiveness, righteousness given to me. It's not about improving at all. Two very separate things. But I still have this niggle. Well, why did God do it? Why did he give me the new life? Surely he has some things he wants me to do. And why are you calling me Shirley? No, but look at it. It's there, right? Because actually for us to think through and to get into our hearts that God actually has a plan. And I'm here to tell you as a person who has a new lease on this life on earth for who knows for how much longer, that what I get to do is to proclaim this to you, that the gospel's true. And it's not just true for a prayer when you were 10 or prayer when you're 25 or some, some moment in time conversion. And then you're right back to seeing what I can do to preserve everything right. Oh, no. Look at what God's plan is. Because I might think God made me alive. And God raised me. And God seated me with Jesus in the heavenlies in order that I might be a light to the world and a savior for many. You guys ever see Family Feud? Can I just do it once? Oh, I wasn't supposed to get so loud because it buzzes, but that was really cool. Oh, I like it. No, look, look at God's plan. Now the rest. So verse seven, this is why he did it. This is why he raised you from the dead. This is why he says it so that in the coming ages, he, this is God, the father might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, let us soak in. God did it. His action alone, not yours so that he can show everybody in the universe the wonders of his grace and riches in Jesus. He did it to show everyone what he does. He didn't do it to get you to do something. He did it because he's showing you off. He's showing the wonder of who he is by what he's done for you and me. You see that, right? We're so weird, people. It's like we're paint in a painting. But we're the paint thinking that we're the painter. Well, I don't like being the paint. I'd rather put this little mark over here. Can I just jump the line and go? There's actually a painter. His name is God. He, 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 he actually is, has you, and he's making this beautiful painting of all of us together, of the wonder of what he's done in Christ. And he's going to show it off to the universe. He changes hearts. He makes the changes he wants. He uses the paint as he wants. He makes beauty. It's not a single thing you do, not before or after, for you to worry about, or else it's not grace. That's why Paul says again, second time, pay attention, right? Second time he says again the same phrase that he says there in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Real life, life is a gift. You get it just by trusting that, that, that God's done it. That's what there, it's by faith, right? Faith's not something you do. Faith is just trusting that God's word is true. This amazing message of the Bible is actually the truth. This is assurance right here. 
It is about, is the hand of God mighty enough to do what he says he's going to do? And I am here to tell you, the hand of God is very mighty. It's not in having the right political viewpoint or the right love for your neighbor or the tidiest yard. It's not by holding it together or having kids that are in order or having a stance slowly improving on the march to wherever. It's not. Our connection, our joy, the things that we come around and we're so excited about is so much more than that. It's so much deeper. It's that we had no hope. And then we, our eyes have been opened to the wonder that God in Christ has taken us crazy, dying, dead sinners and he's rescued us from the morgue. All of us. Wow. The treasure is ours. We're his treasure. Right now we're his. And then he finishes it off, this sentence that he's in with this verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <laughs> oh, and, and if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, we say, Okay, finally, there's something for me to do. Find some good works to do. I was created for good works. Where are they? Let's go get them done. That's not what this is saying to you. Hear what God is saying to you. It's in the middle of these three chapters of everything is about what God has done. You rest in the finished work of Christ for you. And in the middle of it right here, he says, look, he says this very idea is that you trust that God made you alive. God raised you. God put you up with Jesus to display you forever. And, and, and then it's, it's a, but I I'm, I'm still have these few breaths right here on earth. Surely I need to do something for God. He says, don't you even worry about it. You're his. You're his workmanship, meaning he's the one creating and making you tick and work and move. He will mold you and use you as he wants to. This is meant to be comforting. He's got you. One of the uh, people I've been really graced to know over the past 10 years is a, a man who's mostly shut in. He struggles a lot with, I just can't do anything for the Lord. I wonder if I'm really even saved. You know, I don't do much. Pastor, give me some more to do because I need to feel like I'm really being useful for the Lord. And one of the works you're trying to get into his heart, right, is what? God has all your works planned out. He's got you. You can't even see him. You don't even realize that when you talk to me, you're sharpening me. You don't realize that when you walk down the street and smile at somebody, God's using that. You don't realize that you like fishing and you go out on a boat and you say, hey, come along, friend, let's go fish together and we hang out. God's using that. You don't realize when you're kids and you jump in and you don't really like video games, but they love video games, so you play video games with them. And you're terrible. But you don't scream at them. You smile. God's using that. We don't even know the things God's using, but he's there. And he says, you're his workmanship and you're created for good works that he prepared already before you were even born knowing what you were going to do and able to shape you with the desires and the actions and the deeds that he has for you. It's trust all the way through. It's not, oh, I was saved, and so let's figure out what I should do because i got to find a way to, like, please God. You know what really pleases God? Trust him. 
Trust him with the desires of your heart that you actually like to do. Stop trying to be God and know that he's done it all. This is the good news. It's not just for a single prayer. It's not desperately trying to keep God happy. It's God's announcement that he has you all the way through. And so in the midst of good times and bad times, in the midst of interest, in the midst of struggle with sin that you can't seem to get rid of, and this body that's still decaying and going away and dying, yet we trust that God has us all the way through. This is amazing. This is what it means to escape from the morgue. So today, you know, I, I want to say my flesh and yours too, it sneaks in here. Even knowing Jesus, we need to gather around this again, that our hope isn't here, that life isn't about this breath, that change isn't a changed society, that it's not an improved me here because I'm dying. The death that I, that I die here is already because of sin that I've done, and it's too late for me. And, and I should live under the law. I should accept the right condemnation that I'm not who I should be. I should even work towards being better here on earth, because you know what? That's what life here is about. But my real life is about trusting that in the midst of my failure, God in Christ has come, and he's promised that life is in Jesus. I'll tell you what it does as we close and we're, and we're done. I'll tell you what it does. It lets me see that what happens in this room of life here is about accusation, is about judgment, and it's what the devil does. It's the prince of the power of the air. You know, the devil's called the accuser. You know, the devil comes in and says, it's you and you're not doing enough. It's you and you haven't done what you should do. It's you. Why aren't you better? And the answer to all of that is, you should be. There's no hope in this room. It allows me to see that what the law does to me, these rules that poke, these people that accuse, I can agree. I can say, you know what, I'm not who I should be ever. And, 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 and that's okay that the condemnation comes because that's not where my life is. My life is over here where forgiveness is. So when you hear people, and you can listen for it in our society right now, where people are rightly going after justice and rightly going after things, but listen to hear, is it all about improvement? Or is there the gospel in it? How could the gospel be in it? The gospel's in it if you start to hear about forgiveness. Right? The law brings judgment. Judgment's fine. It really does. Gets what gets judged. You and you die. The gospel brings forgiveness. And we who are in both worlds, both kingdoms at the same time, we want to see, and please bring it in, that you see in the midst of injustice or in the midst of wrong or in the midst of chaos or in the midst of all the accusation of the law, the light that comes through your mouth is that God in Christ offers forgiveness. Atonement you'll never do. Because the atonement that matters has been done to you, for you. And we now speak of forgiveness for one another in Christ. This is this morning. It's not hip. It's not cool. It's not on the right side of history, but it's proclaiming what real life actually is for everyone. Anyone who will hear that the lowly and the least and the highest and the best are in the same boat of death and dying. And our only hope is the forgiveness that is offered to us in Christ. It's real. It's all that matters. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for this passage, the wonder of it.